hopefully it will be, our second to the last study in eschatology. Our next lesson will be the new heaven, new earth, just one lesson. And then just to let you know, if you have anybody that might be interested, in June, we're going to start a new series through uh, Bible, call it, if you want to call it Bible doctrine, doctrine, go ahead, basic theology, go ahead. We're going to start by teaching on the Bible, you know, things like revelation, inspiration, authority, canonicity, all that stuff that every Christian really should know, quite frankly. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to start that in June. But for now, we're going to try to finish this in May. <laughs> okay. okay, Judgment at the Throne of God, Part 2. I'm going to read from 11 to 15 to set the context. And I saw a great white throne in him who sat on it, from whose, pre- from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, death. Okay, the dead, I should say. The dead in verse 12 refers to all the unbelievers throughout time, including those who were killed at the end of the millennium during the rebellion. Back in 28.9, it says, and Uh, When Satan is let loose, he deceives, and then the nations follow him, and the nations are wiped out. All right? And then we saw last time, too, at verse 11, where it's kind of a, it's hard to tell the exact order, but it's so close. But as God is sitting on the throne, ready to judge, and in, in the presence of him who sat on the throne... Heaven, it says, heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. Earth and heaven fled away. In other words, whoosh, taken out of existence. Okay? And you mean, well, how were they taken out of existence? Well, Second Peter 3, 10 to 13 tells you how. Everything's all burned up. Gone. And so you have those two events that are kind of shoulder to shoulder with each other. If you want to say one proceeds or just follows the other, have at it. It's, again, it's not one of those things we need to start a new denomination over, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, it, it's, but they're right close to each other. It just, they're boom. They kind of run together in a sense. I believe the people are hauled up, standing in front of the white, great white throne, and then wham, the entire earth is destroyed. Kind of like saying, huh, guess what? For these people standing there, there's no place to go. At least go back too. But anyway, now... This resurrection, the end of the millennium, this resurrection we see right here is what Jesus called in, in, in John 5, 29, this is the resurrection of judgment. And we won't turn there, but that Jesus talking about judgment, talking about resurrection, this is the resurrection of judgment. Because again, there's no other resurrection mentioned in scripture for unbelievers except the one for judgment. And this is it. This is it. 
Uh, we've already gone through uh, some of the, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. The resurrect now, this is what in Daniel 12, 2, and we're going to be in Daniel a little bit later, where, and we were there a lot before anyway, where it says the resurrection to everlasting contempt, speaking of the Old Testament saints. You know, they'll be, be risen up to glory, and other be risen up to everlasting, and remember, mark that word, everlasting, everlasting, not temporary. You know, that uh, annihilationism uh, lie that, oh, well, you just don't like a fire, burned up, gone. No, no. It says forever and ever and ever. So, of course, the people that taught that, if I believed what they believed, I'd want it to be that way too. Now, where it talks about the great and the small, it points to all classes of people throughout the ages. The great would refer to those of high stature, power, importance in their lifetimes. Kings, presidents, the super rich, people of great influence. <laughs> we had discussions before, before we even started. It's like, hey, you can be a multi-billionaire. You could own a, multi, you could own a trillion dollar corporation. And uh, to put it in plain language, you ain't buying your way out of this one. No, no way. It doesn't matter. And the small. Those are those viewed by society as being uh, down the social ladder a little bit, a couple of rungs down, you know. Those uh, are less important to the unimportant and right down to those that are considered the dregs of society. That includes everybody else. In other words, everybody is everybody that has rejected the gospel of God throughout the ages is there. That's what's there. And again, it's like the, and again, there's no, and your social status has nothing to do with it. It's just like, you know, Romans 2.11, for there's no partiality with God. No, nobody, nobody gets any slack. Now, in thinking about this, um, I thought of a couple of questions that might come up. Well, what about those believers that will be alive at the end of the millennium? Because there are going to be some. What happens to them? What what do they do? Where do they go? Well, answer, and this is my answer, they will most likely be translated into the presence of God prior to the destruction of the earth. And I give you, I've got a few historic examples. Let's look at this. Look at Enoch, Genesis chapter 5. Because remember, that was judgment. They're not going to be killed, those folks. When you read back and look at the account of there, they were surrounding the great city. They're not going to be killed because they were, they're God's people. <clears throat> so they're not going down in the judgment. Matter of fact, the indication is reading that passage, they're not even going to be killed by this invading group of people. They're going to, the group of people are going to come up and God's just going to take, take them out. So 522 to 24 says, Then Enoch walked with God 300 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, which was a short lifespan for that that time period. And here's why. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Translated. Like it was a one-man rapture. (laughs) Okay? That's what you had there. One, one, one man. And then we have the, the case of Elijah in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse, we won't read the whole story, but in verse 11 it says, 
Now here's where Elijah, and I always get these guys mixed up, but I, because I'm looking at them now, Elijah came first, Elisha came second. And so just before passing his mantle off to Elisha, the number two guy, <laughs> the replacement, this is what happened. Verse 11 says, Then it came about, as they were going along and talking, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Went up alive, by the way. Okay? So, so again, there's, there's, a, there's at least a, a biblical historical precedence for this. So it's not unusual, you know, um, uh, even if there wasn't, you know, who's to say God couldn't do it? Well, at least there's a historic example. Of, this is probably what, uh, how they got out of there. And so they were like the church. Uh, another, well, it's a historic future history. The church, First Thessalonians, we won't turn there, but uh, we'll, on that one, because we've, we've been there before and we know this, we know it by now, that the church is going to be, you know, those who have passed on, when the rapture does take, when the when Christ comes back to draw His church and meet Him to meet in the air with Him, those that are dead in Christ will rise from the grave, and those that are alive will go up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. Okay, so and what happened? You know, and well, the question is, why would this be necessary to do that? The answer is in First Corinthians fifteen. Let's look at First Corinthians fifteen, which for lack of a better term, explains the mechanics behind uh, the rapture, <laughs> you know, of what happens when people are, when the uh, church is raptured, or anybody else for that matter. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-54, says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Again, now, Paul is referring to that, the, uh, the rapture itself. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and, and we, consider that we, speaking to the writing to the church, and we shall be changed. From this perishable, for this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Okay? For us. For the church that is who death is swallowed up in victory. Now, we're going to see that death and Hades are going to be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the ultimate victory for everybody. Okay? We're, we're getting, we're moving down there. But you see, that's why that's why that, that had to happen because they have to they they're going to be they're going to have to be changed to have a body that can handle where they're going. Well, just to live, just to live where God lives, this carcass isn't going to handle it. <laughs> okay, I mean we're doing good to stay alive here, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, it. Uh, so now, the judgment in back to Revelation twenty. The judgment is according to their deeds. Now, the book of life, I want to deal with that first. The book of life is referenced to show that the names of these dead are, really are not written in it. That's the, really the main point of the book of life here, is, that, is, to, is to counter, to be uh, a counterbalance to what's going on here. The fact that these dead are not written. The book of life only includes the redeemed. 
You know that's always been the way it is? Let's look at Malachi. Malachi 3.16. See, where's Malachi? Find Matthew and back up one. You'll be right into it. Last of the miners. Malachi 3.16. Then those who, who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. Ah, that book of remembrance, also known as the book of life. Now let's look at um, Philippians 4.3. And you notice from Malachi, only those that were God's people are in that book of remembrance, same as, you know, says Philippians 4.3, Indeed, true, true comrade, I ask you also to uh, help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Again, believers are in the book of life. And then what about, back to Revelation 20, what about those, uh, those other books? Well, those other books contain the works of the condemned who will be judged according to their deeds. And um, a real, there's so much we could go on this one. Uh, I mean, you go back to, I mean, the closing, the closing statements of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, where he, he tells people, you know, build your house on the rock, not the sand, you know, narrow is the way, look out, you know, narrow is the way, few there be that find it. And then many, many are going to say to him in that day, Lord, Lord, he's going to say, I never knew you. So it's very important that, you know, when we get those opportunities to share the gospel, be clear about the gospel. And I'll just remind you one thing, something that really hit me hard these last couple of weeks. If we don't mention the need, the the fact Remember, gospel is good news. Therefore, to make the gospel relevant to the hearer, uh, we must inform them of the bad news, the good news offsets. The fact that whether they want to believe it or not, they are, like we are, sinners, need salvation, and must repent of that sin. And if we don't include that, we haven't, we've, we haven't given the gospel. We've given some little name it and claim it kind of a thing like just just invite Jesus into your heart. Find that verse. <laughs> you know, that's wonderful and I know what that means, but the heathen does not know what that means. Okay, and that's who we're talking to. So we have to be clear. We have to be clear. You know, because we're not doing them any favors. We're not doing them any favors. You know, we just... We have to be clear because it's it's there's just too many too many false confessions of faith out there, and um, it's just it's just kind of sad. Well, we don't know who they are, therefore it's our responsibility to make it as clear as we can. See, God works through His Word, um, and 
and that's and that's what we've got, and that's what we need to use, uh, because you see, that's the that's the that's the uh, the New Testament and and Old that's the New Testament pattern. I just I just heard a message the other day, where he says, you know, basically the apostles and Jesus Himself, they were prosecutors. They were prosecuting. He says, hey, everyone stands guilty before God, and they were pressing the point. Like, hey, everybody stands condemned. Only by acknowledging your sin, repenting of that sin, and understanding that the person and works of Jesus Christ is your and absolute faith in that person and works of Christ is the only way out. And there's a lot of people that believe the information that are totally unrepentant. That's not a true salvation experience. That was my condition 12 years of Catholic school. Oh, I, yeah, I knew the information. That is only one piece of it. It's, you know, kind of like the, what did uh, James say? That the, you believe there's one God? Great. Demons believe too, and they tremble because they know more than we do. <laughs> they know, they believe in God, and they know one day, like Satan, they're going down with him, and that's it. That's their ultimate eternal end. They know it. So that's why they were scared to death of Jesus. Like, remember those encounters? Of Jesus, the demon said, "Have you come, you know, to judge us before our time? You know, uh, oh yeah, they they know, they know, um, and that's why we must spread the spread it, spread the word correctly." Now, <clears throat> and I've added this one point because I think it's important too that eternal punishment will be worse for some than for others. It will be. There, there's otherwise, who cares what your works are? But there, let's look at uh, Matthew 11. This is one of those passages that puts a perspective on things. Matthew 11, verses 20 to 24. Then he, that's Jesus, began to reproach the cities. That's read them the riot act. Rebuke them, if you will. Re- reproached the cities in which most of his miracles were done why did he reproach them? Because they did not repent. See, there it is again. There's that R word again. You know, that is left out of so many gospel presentations. It, Jesus never didn't leave it out. The apostles didn't leave it out. You know? Uh, and this, this is a strong, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And then he goes on to Capernaum. He says, and you, Capernaum, will not, you will not be exalted to, to, to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. For, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would, have, it would have remained this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in, that, in the day of judgment than for you. That's a strong statement. Because you look throughout of Scripture. Sodom and Gomorrah are held up in many places as examples of God's going to judge sin. And when you, when you get put in a worse condition before God than Sodom and Gomorrah, you're in a bad place. You are in a bad place. Uh, uh, and you know why? Because there's a, there's another one. I can't remember the passage right now, but 
there's a biblical principle to whom to whom much is given much is required they had all the information any person why they witnessed the majority of his miracles uh for example capernaum was his home ground up in the up in his for the whole galilean ministry which how many years did he spend up there altogether a lot the bulk of his ministry was up there in terms of time i mean and then um Corazons are right up there with him. So that whole area, it's an indictment really for that whole area because he spent lots and lots of time right around the Sea of Galilee. All the, all the things, he, miracles he did and the preaching he did there. And, and yet the, the response was flat, nothing. Very little, little minor, little meager handful. They had so much more revelation than anybody else. I mean, they, wow, I mean, can you imagine what the scribes and Pharisees are going to get to? On top of not, on top of rejecting, they they became murderous in their hearts. I just thank you, Lord, for your grace, because any one of us could be in that ship and sink with it. Just just don't forget that you know we yeah we're breaking hard on it a little bit, but hey, we any one of us could be right in that same position, same position. Yes. Yes. Okay, verses 14 and 15, the final abode for the lost, lake of fire, which burns forever and ever. Daniel 12, 2 says it. Death and Hades are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Well, that means both death and Hades are going to go out of existence. The big reason is it's been no longer needed because the, the following event is the new heaven and new earth. And the only people getting into the new heaven and new earth are 100% believers. That's when all the Old and New Testament saints come together and there will be no sin in heaven, no stain of sin. Therefore, all that's going to get burned up with the old earth, this one that we're sitting on, including the refurbished earth in the millennial kingdom. That's part of this earth. It's gone. Because remember, it was stained with sin as well. Uh, So Satan is gone. We saw him last last week. Satan is gone. The all unbelievers that have ever lived are now gone. And so um, death itself is now no longer needed. Hades the grave is no longer needed. <laughs> Out it goes. It's gone. There, I mean, that's why when we, we look at that, when we get together next time, um, the new heaven and new earth is a beautiful thing for a lot of reasons. You know, we're only going to spend one day on it. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to try to describe all the different stones. and just, we can, We'll probably just read through it, make some comments, and, and a couple of big points, and, and leave it at that. Um, now, in verse 14, the second death. The second death is those at the great white throne judgment will suffer death for the second time. Well... They've already suffered physical death. They're risen from that. And now they're going into eternal spiritual death. Eternal separate death. Literally, you take the word death in the, 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 the Greek word for death. It means separation. You know, life goes out of the body, separate, die. Uh, it's that idea. And so that's the second death. Believers will not die twice. We die once and then we're risen to eternal life 
Okay, that, again, thank God, is our destiny. Believers only die once, followed by a judgment for rewards. Now this is where I want to walk through these passages. we got just enough time to do it. The Old Testament saints. Let's look back to our friend Daniel for one last time. See, Daniel's kind of in a, if nothing else, through this study, if you want to understand the end times, Daniel's just a little bit important. <laughs> okay? There's others that are important too. Zechariah's right there too for certain things. But Daniel, to me, is key. Zechariah's right there with him. Um, but um, you put the two together, you've got a good flow of what's going on. And then you start tying in people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and things from the minor prophets, the pictures. But Daniel's kind of like the skeleton that everything kind of fits on. Okay. Daniel 12, 1, 1, verses 1 through 3. Now at that time, Michael the prince, who stands over guard your sons. Your, now remember, at that time, we're talking the end times, okay? At that time. Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, that your people, Daniel, is Israel, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since since there was a nation until until that time. And, and, And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, oh my, there's, look at that, written in the book, will be rescued. Sometimes called the book of remembrance, book of life, same book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake to everlasting life. Again, talking about those that are in that, uh, in that book, right? But the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness, the little Old Testament evangelism here, like the stars forever and ever. See, the Old Testament saints are going to get rewarded too. And then, how about Revelation 20, the uh, tribulation saints? We've already dealt with their resurrections, but just to let you know that nobody gets left out of the reward business here. Um, Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6 And I saw the thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their foreheads and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. See that? The first resurrection does not involve the unbelieving dead. The first resurrection only involves believers, the tribulation saints in this instance that we're talking about. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And then we have the church. 
1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.12. Okay, 3.12 to 15 says, now it's talking about building a foundation and so forth, about people being saved. Verse 12, we'll pick it up, verse 12, where it says, Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built built upon it, remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And here's a key uh, phrase to remember. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. This is the, the judgment seat that the believers go in front of it's like think of the think of the games they the, the games they used to play everybody watch ben-hur huh right it's a good one they you know they, back then they didn't get, they didn't pass out participation trophies man <laughs> only number one got a trophy and to get that <laughs> little crown they didn't do that back then <laughs> thank you for coming here's your little trophy you know no yeah <laughs> The guy that got run over, I would send it to his family. No, just. But anyway, <laughs> no. Seriously though, that's you get the reward, and that's for, for rewards. But um, the the gifts, the, the things we did that were meaningless, uh, or done perhaps for the wrong reason, they get burned up. But for the really good things we did with the right frame of mind, the right spirit, those things are going to we'll be rewarded and we'll have that to show for ourselves in heaven. And in second Corinthians five ten, just says, Hey, everybody's going to be judged according to their works, including us, except ours is different. Ours is not judged for judgment. Ours is judged for reward. And based upon what we actually did for the Lord during our lifetime, all believers have been taken care of by that time. The only people left for any kind of a judgment is those standing before the throne of the great white. Everybody else is, we're done. We're all done. Jew, Gentile, Old Testament, New Testament, Saint, Tribulation, Saint, we're done. <laughs> okay? We're done. Um, and closing thought, I think Revelation 22 is a good place to end this. And it might be a good place to end the next lesson, too. But uh, it's one of these passages that always sticks out. Revelation 22, 12 through 17 says, Jesus is speaking. In 12 and 13, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then this is at the end of the book. Now this is like, again, this is a message to whoever is reading this book. Say, I'm coming and my rewards are here. You know, which reward line are you going to be in? See? Uh, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral persons, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify, or it could be Trent Messenger there, to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And I love this great invitation. The Spirit, that's capital S, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, say, come. 
And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. The implication is, you may come too. If that is the desire of your heart, come. Take the water which is freely given. And that does that for today. Let's close prayer. Father God, we again, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that we can be here together on this day uh, in freedom, enjoying the word together. In your name we pray. Amen.